The message this morning is entitled, When All Hope Seems Lost. As Pastor Sam said, we're going to be in the book of Ruth this morning, and we're going to be looking at particularly chapter 1, verses 14, all the way through the end of the chapter, and then one verse in chapter 2, as we begin to understand what was the heart of this amazing story found in the four chapters of Ruth. To give you a little background, the book of Ruth begins with a woman and her husband by the name of Naomi and Elimelech. They live in Bethlehem in the promised land with the people of God. But a great famine breaks out in the land, particularly in Bethlehem. And so they take their two sons and they go to Moab to find rescue. Now, some of the symbolism in this story is remarkable. They make the conscious decision to leave the presence of God in the promised land in hopes of finding a new and better life in the world, which is represented by Moab and the Moabites. What a great lesson for us of what happens when we think we can secure for ourselves a better life away from God and away from God's people. Now, here's the deal. They must really be desperate because to leave Israel and go to Moab might actually, in the end, cost them their lives because the Israelites and the Moabites were arch enemies. There was great racial and cultural divide between the Israelites and the Moabites. So to leave your home, to go to enemy territory as it was seen by the Israelites, showed how desperate Naomi and her family were in this season. But chapter 1 ends in a very sobering note. Attempting to secure safety and security and new life in Moab, the life and their story ends in utter ruin. Uh, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and her two sons die. All that is left for Naomi are the two daughter-in-laws that that the two sons marry, which are Moabites, Orpah and a woman by the name of Ruth. She's lost her land and her property and her material possessions and wealth in Bethlehem. She's lost her husband and her two sons. And all she has are these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. The story of Ruth is a story of utter hopelessness, emptiness, desperation, and what seems to be irredeemable and utterly hopeless. Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. This is the word of God. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, Naomi. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see your sister-in-law. This is Naomi speaking. See your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return Or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. How beautiful. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on to Bethlehem, 
And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. How amazing to think that the fullness of life would be out in the world. And she actually comes back more emptier than before. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? And so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And the grass withers, and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, even thousands of years later, it stands forever. Amen. I love the story of Ruth. Yes, it is short, but it is profound. In four chapters, it shares with us so much truth. I love the book of Ruth because in many ways, it is our story. Commentators concur that in the four chapters of Ruth, there is no miracle. There is no parting of the Red Sea. There is no burning bush. There is no feeding of the 5,000. In many ways, the book of Ruth is just the mundane and the ordinary, ups and downs, the highs and lows of life. It's the story of utter tra tragedy and utter hopelessness that I know every single person this morning can relate to at some level. But the story of Ruth also is an incredible story here in God's story, our story, because what seems utterly hopeless and impossible and what seems on the surface to be irredeemable, in the end, at the end of the story of Ruth, we see God at work and restoring hope to the hopeless. And it's my prayer this morning, if you are feeling in a state of hopelessness, if you are looking at your life and saying, my life is a lost cause, my life and this world we live in is irredeemable and broken beyond repair, I pray that the story of Ruth would renew and restore your hope, maybe even for the first time, when all hope seems lost. Where does the hope that you and I long for, where can it be found when all hope seems lost? In this story that we just read in Ruth chapter 1, the first thing I want you to see concerning this hope that we long for is that real hope is only experienced through sacrificial love. That it is the sacrificial love of Naomi towards Ruth that restores hope to a hopeless situation. It is the sacrificial love of Naomi that allows hope to be experienced in the midst of darkness and brokenness. In chapter 1 and even before the passage that we started to read, all the way beginning in verse 6, Naomi, the mother-in-law, is pleading with her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, to return to Moab. Don't come to Bethlehem with me. Now, why was this so significant? And why was this a demonstration of sacrificial love? I've already spoke to the cultural and racial divide between the Israelites and the Moabites, arch enemies 
racially and culturally. And so, the, but the most strategic thing for Naomi to do and the most self-serving thing to do would be to convince Orpah and Ruth to come with her back to Bethlehem. If, if Naomi was ever going to stand a chance, at least she would have her daughter-in-laws with her. Remember, Naomi was going back to no land, no money, no family, no husband, no children. And so the most strategic and self-serving thing to do would be to convince Orpah and Ruth, you have to come with me. But what does Naomi do over and over and over again? She understands what they would have to risk. Moabites living in the midst of Israel. And she says to them, please go back. You still have a chance. You still have opportunity. Go back to your mother and father. Go back to Moab. Go back to what you know and what is safe and familiar. But how does Ruth respond? Orpah goes off. But how does Ruth respond? How does she respond to the sacrificial selfless love of Naomi? It does the reverse. And it transforms her. And it actually says that Ruth has a conversion experience somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem. X marks the spot where in verse 16 of chapter 1, Ruth says what? Do not tell me any longer to go back. I will go with you. And this is the radical transformation. Your people will not be my people. And your God will be my God. She professes the name Yahweh, which was a sign of conversion in verse 16. And what Ruth is saying is this, if your God enables you to love me with that type of sacrificial love, then I want to be a part of it. The sacrificial love of Yahweh being poured out upon Naomi and now transferred to Ruth is the very thing that takes this girl, Ruth, in utter hopelessness, in a situation that seems irredeemable and restores hope to a very dark situation here in Ruth chapter 1. But it is the sacrificial love of God that motivates and transforms Ruth to understand, no, I will risk everything to be with you. If your God causes you to love me like that, then I want that God if you people love me like that, then I want to be a part of your people. Oh, how do we need this message right now in our communities and in our nation? It is the sacrificial love of the people of God at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church that will transform and change this world and change our society in the division, in the strife, in the arguments, in the fighting. It is the sacrificial love of the people of God that will restore hope to a situation that seems hopeless into a world that seems irredeemable. It is the sacrificial love of God poured out towards Naomi that transforms Ruth. It's amazing. And it's the only thing that can transform us to know that God has poured out his love upon us in such a sacrificial way is the only thing that will move you and me as the people of God to empower us to love this world with a sacrificial love, to be agents of the kingdom of God, restoring that which is broken, bringing truth and grace into a hopeless situation. Hope here is experienced through the sacrificial love of Naomi.
But the second thing I want you to see is not only is hope restored through sacrificial, selfless love, but hope is only possible through the work of the Redeemer. The only way hope can be possible for Naomi and Ruth and the only way hope can be possible for you and me and for our hopeless world is through the work of a Redeemer. In chapter 2 of verse 1, we're introduced to that Redeemer. His name is Boaz. And we're told in verse 1 that Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. And what they would call someone like Boaz is what is referred to in the Old Testament as a kinsman redeemer. And the reason the passage goes on to explain why Naomi is so excited to see Boaz, the relative of her deceased husband, is because the one thing she needs the most is a kinsman redeemer. And it could be Boaz. Now you might ask, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer? Well, a kinsman redeemer was set up and established by God so that the people of God would never technically lose their land and their property if they moved away. But it would require somebody, a next of kin, a kinsman redeemer, it would require a next of kin to come in to purchase back the property personally but then gift it all back to the original owner. This was the, the beauty and the gift of the kinsman redeemer to the people of God. But you had to find somebody who was not only related, but you had to find somebody who was willing and able. Because after all, who in the world would buy back land for relatives that fled to Moab 30 years ago and then give it to them with nothing in return? There was zero ROI for the kinsman redeemer. Nothing in it for them. All that it was in it for them was to cover their debt, to cover their shame, and to give them a new life. And the story goes on here in the book of Ruth. Fast forward to chapter 4 of Ruth, the end of the story. And after a little convincing and nudging from Naomi, Boaz finally steps up to the plate as the kinsman redeemer and purchases the property and covers the debt of Naomi and restores Naomi's wealth and land and property to her. But the story doesn't end there. Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer for Naomi, also becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. You see, we're told in chapter 4 that not only does he redeem the land, but he also redeems Ruth the Moabite. How? By taking her as his bride. So here is Boaz as the kinsman redeemer who not only risks his own material wealth and buying back the land and giving it to Naomi, but he risks his name and his reputation. He is an Israelite marrying the archenemy, the Moabite woman, in order to do what? In order to redeem her and restore her and make her his beautiful bride. So there we have Boaz in chapter 4 as the great kinsman redeemer of the book of Ruth. Redeeming the land, redeeming Ruth, and then producing a child with Ruth. In the midst of death, in the midst of a line that had been stopped. Naomi could no longer produce children. Ruth could no longer produce children. And then all of a sudden, in the book of Ruth in chapter 4, Ruth and Boaz give birth. 
And Naomi becomes a grandmother. And Ruth becomes a mother. And redemption is seen there in Bethlehem. And this is what it would say. This is what Ruth would say to Naomi in verse 14 of chapter 4. Then the woman, Ruth, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. How in the world has Ruth given Naomi a gift greater than seven sons? Well, the story goes on to tell us that a few decades later, or a few generations later, this line would produce not just a son, but it would produce a royal son. His name would be David that this line would be restored, that God would use a Moabite woman to restore the line of Israel. And it wouldn't be any ordinary line. It would be a royal line producing the greatest king of Israel, King David. And this is all happening where? In Bethlehem. Because it would be centuries later. In the same city, Bethlehem, through this line produced by Boaz and Ruth, that the greater kinsman redeemer would come to the town of Bethlehem, Jesus the Christ. You see, this story, the reason the story points to hope only being made possible through a kinsman redeemer is yes, Boaz is great, but it points to a greater kinsman redeemer. Boaz redeemed the day through his currency, but it's Jesus the Christ that redeems the day through his own flesh and blood. It is Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, that covers the debt of a family. But it is Jesus, the great kinsman redeemer, that would come through the line of Boaz and Ruth and King David that would eventually come to cover our debt of sin once and for all, for all who believe. This is the redemption story of the great kinsman redeemer in the midst of hopelessness when all hope seems lost god is at work providing a redeemer and what a story of redemption that god takes an interracial marriage between ruth and boaz between two people that are des uh, despising each other and adverse to one another and through it brings about the savior of the world if that is not redemption and reconciliation i do not know what is this is our hope in a hopeless world. This is the means of grace and truth that we are obligated to share to a world that is spinning out of control. Do you understand the implications of the hope that God gives us through the great kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ? It means, if we are to take anything away from the book of Ruth today, it means this, that for the children of God, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how hopeless your situation and irredeemable your circumstances might be, that God is always at work. Can you not see God at work from the very beginning? leading through a famine to Moab and the return of Ruth to meet Boaz, the great kinsman redeemer. Can you not see God at work even when you can't trace him? God is always at work.
And it is the only thing that can cure bitterness. Remember reading in Ruth chapter 1 that, in, that Naomi said, Do not call me pleasant. Do not call me by my name, Naomi. But call me Mara. Call me bitter. There is a lot of bitterness in the world right now. And you listening at home right now might be experiencing bitterness. Saying, look at what has happened to my life. Look at the cards that I have been dealt. And I am here to say this morning that the only cure for bitterness is to experience the hope of the transforming, otherworldly, sacrificial love of the great kinsman redeemer that Boaz pointed to. But Jesus fulfills once and for all. Do you understand the, the implications for those that have experienced this sacrificial love of the transforming work of the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ? This and this alone is what moves us and motivates us to love the world with no strings attached, to bring hope in the midst of hopelessness, to bring a message of redemption into what seems like an irredeemable situation in our homes in our communities, and in our nation right now, we have a message of otherworldly hope, all because we have first been loved with a sacrificial love which moves us to love everyone, no questions asked, with no strings attached. Brian was 10 years old, growing up in Montgomery, Alabama. He went to church every Sunday with his mom, and at the end of the service one Sunday, he and his friends were standing in the back. And they noticed that there was a new boy that was visiting that day. And so Brian went up, only 10 years old, went up to the other young boy, the new boy that was there. And he said hello to them, said hello to the new boy. And he quickly realized that the new boy had a speech impediment. He stuttered and he could barely make out a word. And so Brian and his friends began to laugh and make fun of him until, out of the corner of his eye, he saw his mother. And Brian's mother stuck out her finger and motioned for Brian to come here. And so he sheepishly makes his way to his mother, and she says, we do not treat people like that. And he begins to make excuses, and she says, I do not want to hear it, Brian. You have three things that you are to do right now. You are to walk back over and apologize. But mom, you don't... Stop talking. The second thing you are to do, you are to hug him. Boys don't hug. You will today. Third thing, you will tell him that you love him. And so reluctantly and sheepishly, he walks back to the boy. And before he could throw his arms around him, the boy with the speech impediment wrapped his arms around Brian and grabbed him tight. And as they stood there and embraced, Brian whispered in his ear, I love you. And the boy, with no problem at all, said, I love you too. Brian said, it was in that moment that my life was forever changed because I realized that I was more broken than that boy. Listen to me. In the midst of a broken world and a divided nation, there is only one message that will restore hope in the midst of hopelessness. There is only one message that will be declared from the pulpit of this church and only one message 
that will move the people of God at Coral Ridge to bring hope into a hopeless world, into what seems irredeemable. And it is the sacrificial, transforming love of the kinsman redeemer. That is our message, and that is our anthem, and that is what we boldly declare, and what moves us to love in the midst of brokenness. Agents, as Paul says, of reconciliation and agents of hope, restorers of hope in the midst of hopelessness. You see, anyone, Jesus says it himself, can love friends. Anyone can love family. But it seems impossible to love others who are not like us. And even more impossible to love those who are opposed to us. You say nobody does that, except for one, the kinsman redeemer. While we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. And he took the curse and the burden and our debt. And in return, makes us heirs and inheritors of the throne of God. O Coleridge, what a moment to be alive. What a moment to be a part of God's kingdom reconciling work with the message and the only message that has stood the test of time, the message that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago and by God's grace and for his glory will turn this world and turn this nation and turn our neighborhoods upside down once again. Ambassadors of hope for the kingdom of God and for the glory of the kingdom. Agents of hope to a hopeless world. The same hope that restored what's in here is the same hope that will restore what's needed out there. This is our moment, and this is our calling. Amen?